That's so great. I am so excited to start this year off. I've been looking forward to this evening. I know... Oh, I know that God has put a, a word on Gavin's heart. It has been awesome to be able to pray together for months and to do um, to rely on the Lord and to seek him and trust in him for what he has to say for us collectively for the year. And I am believing, I know, I know that the Holy Spirit has something to say to each one of us this evening. And uh, I'm so excited to hear what uh, the Holy Spirit has put on Gavin's heart tonight. So let's give it up for Gavin as he comes on out. Hey, guess what? Guess what? We got to upgrade. We got to upgrade this summer. What was it? Anybody guess? This, this thing right here. So if I look super awkward with my hands and have no clue what I'm doing, it's because I'm not used to not holding a mic in my hand. So just bear with me. Hey, everyone read that word up on the screen for me. Ready, set, go. Good. Come on, hands up. Hands up for our alumni. Alumni in the room. Put your hands up. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Amazing. Amazing. This week has been so cool seeing so many alumni come and visit and say hello. We're just saying this, freshmen, we're going to tell you now, uh, this place is wonderful that people don't ever want to leave, okay? They just love coming back to visit. So freshmen, we're so glad you're here. Freshmen, hands up in the place. Come on, let's give it up for our freshmen. My name is Gavin, as Kim said. This is Kim Quigley, and we get the opportunity to be your campus pastors here at Summit. Thank you, yeah. If I was to ask the question, who do they say the Son of Man is? Anybody know where that's found? Anybody know who said that? Jesus said it. Yeah, you're right. Jesus? Did Jesus say it? Uh, I didn't know we were going to be quizzed right away. Who do people say the Son of Man is? Jesus asked his disciples. And his disciples said, they say, it was close, but it wasn't right. They say, you're John the Baptist. They say that you're uh, the prophet Jeremiah. Uh, They say you're one of the prophets. Others say Elijah. Jesus says, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? Does anybody know what the next response is on that? Who said it? Yeah, no, 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 but who, not Logan, not you. Who actually said it in the scripture? <laughs> Peter, good. <laughs> Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven, I tell you. You are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will overcome it. In that moment, in that moment, Peter experienced a new identity. Upon the confession of his faith, 
on who Jesus is, he received his identity. Upon the confession of who the Son of Man truly is, the Messiah, he understood in that moment who he really was. He wasn't just Simon, but he was Peter. And that God was going to use him in crazy ways, in amazing ways. And we're going to read out of this passage tonight by Peter. And I'm so drawn to this passage by Peter, and it's actually found in 2 Peter, and it's chapter 1. And I'm so drawn to this passage because there's some great promises and great truths that Peter gets to speak, that we get to hear. But this guy Peter, yes, he made the proper confession, but he sure made some mistakes over his lifetime as well. And I get to just look at him and say, wow, me too, me too. I get that. I get that. In that moment, Peter discovers his identity upon his confession of faith on who Jesus is. Open up to your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 1. We're going to go to verse 11, but this evening we're going to focus on verses 1 to 4. And over the next month on our Wednesday nights, we are going to dive into this passage. So you can take your little like Bible ribbon. If you don't use this regularly, throw it down on 2 Peter chapter 1. All right, here we go. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for a life of godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption of the world caused by evil desires. Verse 5, For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind, and he has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never fail. Sorry, you will never fall. And you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, we know that you're here. We know that you're active. We know that you have been already moving. You've been tilling this soil and you've been preparing hearts. So you don't need to request and make that ask again. But I pray, Holy Spirit, that our, our hearts will be open to your moving. Our hearts will be open to your speaking. That tonight... Our spirits would receive what you have been trying to say to us for our entire lives. Would we be humble and obedient and submissive to listen to you this evening? We pray in your name. And everybody said? Come on. Who's excited to be here this evening? Yeah. So last night's football game was unofficially sponsored by the letter Z. Well, tonight, this message is officially sponsored by the letter P. And our first point is Peter. (laughs) 
Peter. Peter was a cool dude. Made mistakes, but man, God sure used them. And he says at the beginning of this passage here, he says, Simon Peter, which is interesting that he says Simon Peter, because if you flip a couple pages forward to 1 Peter, he just uses his name Peter. But this one he uses Simon Peter. And then he follows it up with this servant and apostle of our Lord Jesus Christ. So this book was probably written somewhere around 64 plus A.D., somewhere between 64 and 67 A.D. So 1 Peter is around 64. Uh, This is 67 between there, 64 and 67, because Peter is um, believed to be uh, killed, crucified in Rome, late 67, early 68. So this is near the end of Peter's life. And I think he says Simon Peter, this is just my own thoughts towards, I think he says Simon Peter as he's near the end of his life and he understands that a little bit more that his identity and his authority is given because of Jesus, but he also understands that not only is he an apostle with authority, but he is a slave to be submissive to Jesus too. And that one cannot cancel out the other. That it's imperative that both were there. So often when we get in leadership positions, we love to tout our leadership role. But here, at, near the end of his life, he said, yeah, I'm, I'm Peter, I'm apostle, but first, I'm a servant of Jesus, an apostle. And I think we could probably learn from something like that as well. I have. This has been something that I've gone through this summer as well. Uh, yeah, I'm a pastor, but I'm also a servant and a pastor. We, we are servants and elders, servants and student leaders, servants and teachers, servants and managers. And a servant is another word for slave, that we're actually slaves to Jesus. And in our language, man, that kind of stirs some frustration, or I don't know if I like that because of history of what we've been taught. But essentially it means that he just owns me. And isn't that beautiful to know that I've given my life, that you've given your life over, and now you can call yourself a slave to Jesus, and he owns you, but you know that you're okay because of who he is? A slave, an apostle to Jesus Christ. Peter represents and he speaks for Christ. He speaks on behalf of him. He's commissioned by him to go. Now, Peter was a part of this inner echelon of the twelve, even the closer of the three, right? Peter was there on the top of the mountain, on the transfiguration experience with James and John, and he got to experience this holy moment with Jesus. He saw this unique part of him that no other except those two saw. He was close with Jesus, and yet he still calls himself a slave. There's so much humility in his words, so much humility in his introduction of himself in that moment. The audience that Peter is writing to in this book is not specific to a location like Paul often did in his letters, where he would write to a church in Corinth, or he would write to a church in Ephesus. This year, Paul is sending out a message specifically to those who are saved, kind of general, broad, to the area of Rome, to those who've confessed Jesus as their Lord and Savior, followers of the way. So he's speaking specifically to the saints. He's speaking specifically to those who follow Jesus. 
Because he gets into some wording and some terminology that could be confused, that it seems like we have to work to gain our salvation. And he's not saying you've got to work to get salvation. It means that you've just got to be diligent because of your salvation. Do you know what I mean? So it's not to those who are yet saved. This is speaking to the Christians who follow Jesus. Peter, knowing his identity, knowing his authority, he writes to these churches in a time where it was extremely difficult to live a faith-filled and faithful life to Jesus. Post this, just a little bit following his letter, he's crucified himself, what is believed traditionally to be in Rome, in a time that was very difficult to live your life publicly, Praising Jesus because who knows what kind of persecution would take place. Wow, there's a lot of peas right there as well. Isn't today sometimes difficult to live your faith out publicly as well too? Anybody feel that pressure sometimes, that difficulty? Isn't it wild that this summer we have seen uh, some really prominent, prominent and influential people renounce their faith completely? Right? Anybody follow Hillsong? I don't remember the name of the leader. My apologies. I'm not a music guy, so I don't really care. Uh, But I care about him, and I care about his faith. And he's going through this real difficult time right now in what he has put his trust and hope into. Uh, A a fairly well-known pastor who I have one of his books in my office uh, renounced his faith as well this summer. And many others are just giving up on their faith given up on their hope and their trust because they're confused and they're uncertain about a bunch of things. And Peter here is saying to the church, and here I am saying to you, that there are promises that you can stand upon, that no matter what challenge or difficulty you face, God will always be there with you. It's, it's easy to jump here and do it together. It's difficult out there. But I got some good news for you tonight. And if you're ready, I want you to have your Bibles open. Bring your journals. Bring your pens. Use your Evernote. Doesn't matter to me. First one was Peter. Second one is precious faith. I love this, this wording that Peter uses here uh, in verse 1. He says, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ has received a faith as precious as ours. Like precious. Like beyond calculation. Like, like priceless. Like money can't actually buy it. It's, it's too much. It's worth too much to say that we can put a number or a tag on it. You just can't count it. And the words as precious in its Greek translation means this equally precious, which I like. That there's this equality in honor of this faith that Peter is talking about. This precious faith shares this common denominator. And what he means is, because here's another hypothesis in regards to Simon Peter as he addresses himself. Right? Simon is his Hebrew name, and Peter is his Greek given name by Jesus. That he could also be speaking out to multiple, um, 
foreigners, multiple different backgrounds as he greets all of them. So he's saying this faith, this precious faith, is actually an equalizing faith as well, that it is for every single one, whether of the land or foreign to the land, that this faith that is given to you is equal among all. And in last year and two years ago, we talked about adoption here often in our chapel services and this gospel message of adoption, that as you gain this adoption, this right to become a son and daughter of God, that it is of equal value to all those who consider themselves son and daughter of God. There's no different levels in it. Everybody has this equal common denominator of faith, this equalizing value of worth and identity of who you are in Jesus. How priceless, how precious is our faith which grants us entrance into his kingdom, into eternal life. Do you have anything that's like most precious to you? Like what is most precious to you? Like think about it for a second. Is it your family? Is it your parents? Siblings? Maybe you got a really nice BMW car. <laughs> I saw a good friend, that's why I say that. Maybe it's, maybe it's hopes of like what your future has the potential of being. Maybe that's precious to you. Like what's precious to you? Maybe it's my kids. I'm speaking personally to me, not to you anymore. I hope it's not my kids. <laughs> right? If you're married, your spouse. Like what's, what's precious to you? Because this, this concept of faith, Scripture talks about it as a gift that is given that we ought to hold as precious to our lives. Something that we have received, something that we have been granted, something that has been offered over to us. There is nothing that we were able to do to gain it, but it has been granted and given to us. Therefore, this gift that we now have is to be held so closely to our hearts because it is so precious to us. Have you thought about your faith in that concept of something to to hold so close that it's so precious and so valuable to you? I'm going to be totally candid. I I didn't think that way uh, a year ago. I didn't. I honestly didn't. And this last year, I've been on this somewhat of a faith walk that I've been titling it for myself. That, that faith, this concept of faith, what it is, this belief in who God is and who I am in him, is a gift given to me. Like, I knew salvation was a gift giving, given to me, but the belief of this salvation is also a gift given to me. Do you get that? Like salvation is bought and paid for by Christ and given over to you. And it is by faith that we accept that gift. But it is also the gift given to us of faith that we can accept the gift given to us of salvation. Right? Do you get that? This is the way my mind works. And this is how I've been figuring it out for the last few months. It's a precious gift held so valuable that God desires us to look at it as a gift. So this crucial question of faith, right? The Hebrews, sorry, in Hebrews, writes that it is impossible to please God without faith. That we cannot please God whatsoever without faith. Any good act, 
Any great idea, any characteristic or virtue that we think is good, if it is without faith, it is not good. It's still sin. It's still wrong and displeases God. And this is something that I too have struggled with. But God, I thought this was a great idea. But if it is a void of his will and of who he is, it's not good at all. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And from our passage here, an author, Mark Buchanan, uh, as he talks about faith as a gift, uh, he says it's a gift that we ought to treasure. And he says um, that faith is a gift that comes to us mysteriously, undeserved, unexpected. It cannot be bought. It cannot be borrowed. It cannot be conjured. But it can be asked for. Wow. Isn't that amazing? So often if we think of something valuable, we've got to put the effort and the time and the work into. We will get there. But to begin with, we can't do anything to get that. It's just offered freely to us. That's bars. That's bars. See, Brandon wants to get this thing going this year of the new, uh, like, amen, shout it out things. And uh, he likes that's bars. And you know what? So do I. That's bars. I did not hear that one at all. Oh, okay, that was for Brandon. Great. I don't need to hear it then. Okay, Ephesians 2 says this. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God. Okay, Hebrews 1 also teaches us the definition of what faith is. Definition of faith is that it's the assurance of things hoped for. So this is what it says, NIV says, Faith is the confidence in what we hope for and the assurance of what we do not see. Paul confirms this teaching when he writes to the church in Corinth. He says, we live by faith, not by sight. And so we live by this assurance inside of us, not in the things that we see, but the assurance inside of us. Because the things that we see, the things that we can touch, the things that we can taste and smell, yes, we see it in this world, but that's not the whole counsel. That's not the whole concept of God's creation. There's so much more. And Mark Buchanan, I love this line, he says, the things, sorry, I want to make sure I get it right. That which is, no, wait, where am I? What matters most is more than just matter. What we see, what we taste, what we hear, what we feel. Yes, it's there, but that's not the whole counsel. There's so much more. And what matters most is more than just matter. That which is visible is made and maintained by what is invisible. And Genesis speaks of this, right? Genesis speaks of of the spirit hovering over the deep before anything came into existence. That it was this dark void of nothingness. And out of the voice of God that echoed in the vast whatever it would have been, all of a sudden came water and rock and tree and grass and mountains and stars and galaxies and planets. Like that concept is wild. That out of nothingness, this voice commands and creation responds, right? As God speaks and commands, as he convicts and he calls, creation then 
responds. We are to respond. And just as faith is a gift, it's a treasure. We are to treasure it, but it is a treasure that we are to protect. Paul says to the church in Ephesus, talking about the armor of God, he says, faith is what? A? Anybody know? Come on! I like that. Who said it? Shield. Hallelujah. Humble. I like that. Great. Okay. I'm a guy that likes a little bit of, like, vocal play back and forth as I preach. Like, I get the respect and honor of having to listen to the person who has the microphone and speaking God's word. I get that. But I like a little bit of communication back and forth. So when I ask a question, I'd love some response. Uh, And if there's a good point that you like, I would love some response. So are you with me? Hey, okay, good. Awesome. Maybe it's a little bit too hot in here. Maybe somebody needs to turn the dial down and get the AC going. That would be nice, actually. (laughs) So our faith, Paul says, is a shield that it protects us and it extinguishes all the flaming arrows sent out by the evil one. And if you think of something that we value and something that we treasure, that we ought to protect it, to hold it close, to value it, to love it, and to protect it from being harmed. And God allows our faith not to be harmed, but he allows our faith to be tested, right? He allows our faith to be proved whether it's genuine or not. Peter actually talks about that in his first letter. He says that through the testing of your faith, that it may be refined by fire to be proved genuine so it may result in praise and glory to God. Like that the testing of our faith those desert seasons, those valley moments that we all struggle and wish weren't a reality, but it's through those moments that our faith is tested to be proved genuine or not. And as a result of genuine faith, we then respond by his calling in praise, in adoration to God's goodness and glory. I'll even take a sneeze at the right time. That was awesome. <laughs> Now, don't get me wrong. I don't want faith for just faith's sake, okay? Like, like I want to talk about some deep-rooted faith this semester. I'm not talking about going down to pre-service prayer and just, like, psyching yourself up. That I'm going to believe that tonight's tonight, right? I'm just going to speak a little bit faster in my prayer, and God's going to hear a little bit more. That my faith is that much stronger because I'm just getting a little bit more emotional and a little bit more hyped in it, Okay? I'm not just talking about come-ons and prayer circles, although I like them. Don't get me wrong. I like them. I'm one of them. Come on. But that's just trying to conjure up and try to make our own faith, and that's not what God desires of us. Now, He desires response, and He desires engagement, and He desires passion. He desires that. But that's the follow-up of the faith that He's given us, not the way that we create the faith in which to love Him. Okay? And so uh, I'm not just going to have faith for faith reasons. It's going to be based on something of of truth. It's going to be based on something of value. It's going to be based on something that's of worth. And that is faith. Faith is valued, or faith's value, excuse me, is rooted in the worthiness of its object. 
Our faith in God is rooted in the worthiness of, of who He is. It's not just rooted in how much wishful thinking I can come up with, hope-filled thinking that is just going to be there, because depending on how much caffeine you've had or not that day, you could have a lot or a little, right? Like I think of this table. Let's use this table. There's some value and worth into this table. I've set my water bottle on this table, and I have full faith to believe that this table will hold up this water bottle. So the value of this table is good in holding up this water bottle. Now, if a 200-pound man decided to stand on this table, the worth and value of this table would not be something that I would have faith in that it would hold me up. So my faith is dependent upon the worthiness of that object. So my faith is dependent upon the worthiness of our God. Wow! How wonderful is it to have our faith dependent upon our God, who has never once failed, never once let us down, never once gave us a reason to not trust. Hey! Hey! And as as Paul says, we live by faith, not by sight. Our faith, talking about the rooted in this worthiness of this object, it's rooted in not in things that we see, but it's in, rooted in the things that we hear. So I brought some glasses, just so you could have a visual to this. These spectacles help you what? Help you see things. These babies right here, some at auction, by the way, I got these last year, great. You guys should go. Okay? These help you what? Hear. Okay? Oh, now I can't hear you very well. Awesome. Our faith cannot be rooted in the things that we see. But do you know what we can hear? We can hear the voice of God. Found in His Word, His commands, His truths, His blessings, His promises. Those things that we read, those things that we hear. His voice spoken out over the deep. His voice spoken out over the darkness. Those words of commands for the creation to follow up with. Those are His promises and His blessings. That our faith is to be rooted on that, on this, not on these. Not on what you see, but on what you hear. Next letter. Grace and peace. I cheated a little bit because grace went before peace, so I just need some grace for you with that one, okay? Get it? Got it? Good. (laughs) They all know it as Fuller House, but it's really Full House. Verse 2, grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. See, grace and peace is often a like informal greeting that we can see often in certain epistles. But this is not just an informal greeting that Peter is giving to his audience. This here is a promise. This here is a relationship covenant that he is giving. That grace and peace is ours in abundance upon our knowledge and surrender to God and to our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace multiplied in abundance through devotion and study and praise and prayer and adoration. See, a growing personal relationship is the means by which God's grace and peace may be received and experienced. 
the growing personal relationship with God, devotion, study, increase in our knowledge. And I don't don't just mean information knowledge. I mean relational knowledge, intimacy, love, and tenderness. A, A groom with his bride together, vulnerable with one another. This is the picture of love that God has given, granted, and offering to us. Not just information about, but a relationship with. And that relationship is the means in which grace and peace may be experienced. But can I ask you a question? Does your life characterize an abundance of grace and peace in it? Just ask yourself. If somebody were to ask you, hey, what's like the like, most abundant thing in your life? Like, would you say peace? Would you say peace as the thing that characterizes your life the most in abundance of? We'd probably say no. Unfortunately, I, I would say no. Now, I, I read it, and I believe it, I think. Uh, so I'm going to accept it, but there's a wrestle with it. Anybody else there with me? Yeah? Okay, good. I'm not the only one. Makes me feel better. We're going to get to another letter. I'm building this up. I got something great for you here. Next letter. Power. Come on, who loves power? Yeah, this is one of Peter's favorite words. Power. Power, verse 3 and 4, he builds this connection between the knowledge of God and the power of God. And he says, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Okay, like, did you get that? Like, His divine power has given us everything we need to live a life of godliness to his goodness and glory. Okay, like, look at this. Everything we need. Like, we have right now everything that we need to live a life of godliness, an abundance of peace, an abundance of grace, to live a life completely in holiness in goodness, and in godliness. He's provided it all for us. This isn't future tense that once he returns, then I'm going to live a life of godliness. No, this is like present now. Everything that we need, we have available to us instantly in the moment. Okay, but again, I, I, I hear that, but I... Like, if I look at my day-to-day, I don't know if my day-to-day, like, resembles that always, right? Anybody else there with me? Like, I look at that and I say, yes, God, I love the sound of that. But, like, is that really true in my life? Do I actually believe that with every fiber inside of me? This last weekend, we as a leadership team were across the line at a retreat center. And Jay spoke, and I mentioned him following his uh, teaching lesson. He, He quizzed students, the same thing about, well, we, we read these scriptures and we accept them, I think, but do we really truly believe them? There's some hard ones. Like, there's some hard ones to look at to say, yeah, I, I totally believe that. Because God's math is funny sometimes, right? Like, his math to me is a little bit weird. He says that if you want to live, you must die. That's funny math. Now, I don't mean physically. Don't go out and take that literally. But spiritually, we are to surrender, to die, to give up. That's how we live, is to give up. 
That's how we gain, is to give away? That's funny math. You desire to become great? You must become little. Okay, I, I hear that, but do we really truly live like that? Do we really truly believe and accept that and have that change us? Aspire to rule? Learn servility. First is last, and last is first. Poverty is riches? Come on. Like, you guys just gave away a lot of money today. Do you feel rich? <laughs> right? Do you feel rich? Poverty is riches? Being cursed is being blessed. He says that in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are those who are cursed because of me. When's the last time you've been cursed because of Jesus? Have you been cursed because of Jesus? Did it feel like you were being blessed in that moment? Like his math is, is hard to accept at some times. <clears throat> How about this one? Everything you need. No, no, go back, go back, go back. Everything you need for a life of godliness, you already have it. All of it. Like there's no if ands or extras. Like there's there's nothing like hiding around the corner to catch you tomorrow. Like you have it. All of it already. Yeah. But it's hard to grasp, isn't it? It's hard to like fully have faith in it. Which is why the next one is so important. It's divine power that saves our soul. So he says, through his divine power, we have everything we need. And so it's not this emotion that I just have to muster up enough faith that I have everything that I need. It's not just enough thoughts or or wishful thinking that is going to make me believe fully more. No, it's through his divine power. It's through the Holy Spirit in which that we can truly understand to the best of our abilities this promise to be true in our lives. Because we know it's not just enough to know about Jesus. Knowing about Jesus doesn't save any souls at all. But it's through his divine power of a knowledge and a relationship with him that saves us. And that's just given. That's just granted. That's just offered to us. Have you looked at your faith in that concept, in that way, before? Yeah, I've looked at salvation that way, but what about faith? that I looked at it, is that precious? And is that valuable to me? It's his divine power. If it doesn't flow through you and into your life and to make you godly, it says that we're not of Christ. Oh, that's a scary one. We're not of Christ if his divine power doesn't flow through us. Romans 8, years ago, those who were grads would know that we spoke out of, we said, but those who are led by the Spirit of God are called sons and daughters of God. The Holy Spirit is our assurance that we can trust these promises that are granted to us. It's actually only through the Spirit that those promises in us can truly be understood and accepted. That's the mark of salvation, is the divine power, it's the assurance of the Holy Spirit. A faith-filled, faithful Christian walk. A journey with Jesus. A walking by faith, not by sight. Because often our day-to-day doesn't look like that. Why our faith should not be dependent upon what we see, but what we hear 
as the very word and promises of God. So, why not get into the next one? Precious promises. Precious promises. Some of you are like, how many letters are we going through? Joanna, come on. <laughs> I got a few great ones for you guys. 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What a great promise. Romans 10.9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will what, Brad? You will be saved. You will be saved. That's a great promise. Hey? <laughs> First John 2, it says, and this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. What a great promise. Romans 8.32, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us, how will he not also graciously give us all things? What a great promise. Not one word has failed of all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you. Wow. Joshua 23. How about promises of the Holy Spirit? Rest for the weary. Comfort for the sad, hope for the dying, resurrection for the dead, answered prayers. How about this one? The promise of sharing the very nature of God. What? What? That's a promise. A promise of eternal life of a new heaven and a new earth. What a promise that he's given us. See, God, he lives off of his promises. That's how he operates. That's who he is. That's his very nature and character. All his decisions are made off of the promises and the covenants that he has made with his people. Like he is a promise maker. You read through scripture. You read through the covenants of the old prophets. Like he is a promise maker over and over and over and over again. What was Joshua 23 again? Not one word has failed of all the good things that the Lord, your God, promised concerning you. Wow. Wow. I think he's worthy to trust. Amen? Right? Like, how do you trust someone? You trust someone because of their actions in their past, right? Whether they are trustworthy or not at all. It's by their past that you then trust them going forward. And the same is true for God. And if I can trust God with the past, I can trust him with my future. Amen? Actually, this is promise, this precious promise, is the theme of our morning chapels this semester. I'm pumped about it. So what we're going to do for our morning chapels, our Monday morning chapels, we meet here at 11 a.m. And we're having our professors and some guests of ours. And uh, we have like, opened up the gates for them. And we've just asked them, can you speak upon promises that God has shown himself worthy in your life? And they're just going to share. And upon the confession of their faith and their testimony, our faith, I believe, is going to be increased on every single one of those times in here together. Okay, one more, one more letter. Participate, right? When God speaks, when revelation happens, creation is to respond. And here's our chance to respond in participation. So verse 4, 
Verse 4 says, Through these He has given us His very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. The, the essence of, of Christianity, the essence of, of what it is to, to follow Jesus, it, it's a heart of a godly life choosing to, to be like Jesus rather than being like self. Like that's the essence of what it is to live life here on this earth as a Christian. To participate in this divine nature that he grants us opportunity to live in. Um, remember that question that I asked at the beginning of the service? Who do you say I am? That's the question that Jesus asked his disciples. But that's a question that we all eventually have to ask ourselves at some point. And anybody know some like faith giants in their life? Like people who are just full of faith that when you're with them, you're like, do you ever waver? Do you ever question? Are you ever uncertain? You got people like that in your life? I promise you, this is one of just my own. If you hang out more with them, your faith is going to increase. Guarantee. Like through like the process of osmosis or whatever, they, it will just transfer over to you in your faith journey as well. Uh, scripturally, there's this guy that I would consider to be a faith giant, and his name was John the Baptist. And this story uh, shook me this summer like crazy. It's funny, you can read scripture over and, and miss something, uh, and then you read it again, and you're like, wow, that came out of absolutely nowhere. Uh, and so the story of John the Baptist, I read through this summer. And John is the cousin of Jesus. John the Baptist is the cousin of Jesus, and he had quite the experience growing up, even prior to being born, of being uh, near Jesus in a pretty special way. So as he was like in his mother Elizabeth's womb, uh, she was filled with the Spirit when Mary came close to her, when Mary was pregnant with Jesus. And what did John do? Does anybody know? He what? He jumped. He leapt. He leapt in his mother's womb because he was in proximity and closeness to the Savior. Uh, his father, his uh, mouth went mute. He couldn't speak until uh, his son was born and he gave him the name John. And then all of a sudden his father could speak. So I'm pretty certain. I'm just reading in between the lines here. Pretty certain that when John grew up, he would have been told this as a young child or as a teenager. John, when you were in my womb, you leapt for joy when Mary was pregnant with Jesus. Guarantee she said something like that. And then his dad is like, yeah, I couldn't speak for months until I named you John. And then God miraculously healed me and I could speak again. So he grew up with this. He grew up near Jesus. He would have been around these magnificent, miraculous moments that Jesus performed. He got to do something that every pastor who has the opportunity to baptize somebody, like he got to do the best one. He got to baptize Jesus. Like that alone is enough clout to brag, right? Like how cool would it be to actually baptize Jesus into water? Like that alone would be awesome. But what happened? The heavens opened up. Now, I'm, I'm a visual guy, and I don't know what that means scripturally. I don't know if that means literally. I don't know if that's just like a cloudy day turned into a sunny day. I don't know what that means. But the heavens opened in that moment. 
and the presence of God in the form of a dove came down and landed on the shoulder. And an audible voice from above said, this is my son, whom I am well pleased. Talk about, like, faith assurance, right? Like, how could you ever doubt after a moment where you dunk the Savior, heavens open up, this is my son who I love, right? (laughs) He would have heard stories. He would have been near realities of miracles taking place. Water turned into wine. Best, like, wedding trick you could ever do. He would have been there or near there or heard stories of when, when Christ, after baptism, going into the desert and being tempted and fasting and coming in uh, to the synagogue and reading the scroll. Anybody know what scroll it was out of the book of? Isaiah. Come on, I love this. Reading the scroll, proclaiming that he is the promised prophet, the promised savior to come to liberate the captives, to set free the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Like he would have heard that. He would have seen that. He spoke with confidence and told people to repent for the Savior is coming. And if you've ever preached a message, your faith increases in that moment and in that time. So John's faith, I'm certain, was strong. I'm certain his faith was bold. I'm certain he was very confident in his faith. John later then got arrested and got chucked in prison. Didn't do anything wrong, but he got chucked in prison because he wasn't liked. And in Luke, we read the story as it progresses. Jesus reads the scroll of Isaiah and he begins his ministry and healings and miracles begin to take place. Like some really cool healings and miracles. This paralyzed woman healed. Like, no problem, I'll heal you. Blind person, given sight, healed. A demon-possessed person, healed. Then those demons declaring Jesus as Lord. Like that will sure, like, assure your faith. Even those guys say it. A high fever. I like this one. A high fever. Healed. Leprosy. Healed. Sickness. A head cold. A sore throat. Probably a little bit worse than that, but God cares. Healed. A young boy dead. Healed and brought back to life. I've never seen that. That's, a, that's another tough one that I struggle with, if I'm honest. I, I, yeah, I believe it. But man, I want to see that. But then I'm convicted in that moment when I say that. Because here's John. He's in prison. And he's got bars in front of him. And he's thinking, okay, he's read Isaiah 6. Proclaim freedom for the captives, right? Liberate the oppressed. Jesus is going to come in here and fling open these gates. And we're going to be the coolest cousins. And we're going to hug. And then we're going to walk out together, right? Because at that time, let's be honest, the Israelite nation, they were being oppressed under Roman rule. This nation was oppressed down to becoming a state under the Roman rule. And they believed full well that their time was coming where they've received all this oppression and all this hate and all this anger, that other reigns and rulers 
pushed down on them. And they believed, literally those words, that they were going to have a Savior that was to come and was going to uh, slam down his rule and his reign and his kingdom. They believed that. And so Jonathan's like, our kingdom's coming, our king is going to be here, and we're going to take out all these people. And we're going to take our law, and we're going to shove it down their throats. But then the Savior came, and it wasn't by the law, but it was by love that he came. He came in the form of a baby to a very young mother who was afraid, yet full of faith. And he grew up in a place where he was looked down upon, where nothing good comes from Nazareth. And it was totally different than what he expected. And it looked very different. And now he's here behind bars. And he asks a question. He asks a question, and in Luke 7 it says this, the disciples of John the Baptist told John about everything Jesus was doing. So John called for two of his disciples, and he sent them to the Lord, and he asked them, Are you the Messiah we're expecting, or should we keep looking for somebody else? This faith giant, this faith giant who's experienced some of the most amazing things I think you could ever experience on this side of eternity. And in a moment of doubt, and of fear and things not looking the way that he thought that they were going to look. He gave up on what he has heard. He gave up on the commands and the blessings and the promises of God. And he made his faith based on what he saw, not on what he's heard, not on what he was raised in, not on those promises that he's probably has memorized over and over and over. Are you the Messiah that we are expecting? Or should we go look for somebody else? Can I encourage you this year? In your faith journey, in your faith walk, I don't know what you've come from. I don't know what your surroundings may have looked like prior to coming here. And some of you may feel like these surroundings here are quite stressful at this moment. Can you please not base your faith on the things that you see? but on the things that you hear by the very word of God, by his promises and his blessings and his commands and his hopes for you. It is a trying time in our culture today with people renouncing their faith people deconstructing their faith, tearing it all down and wanting to start again. Can I encourage you to take this semester, to take this time, not to tear it all down, because God's been at work in your life for years, but maybe not a deconstruction, but a reconstruction of your faith, a reconstruction of a way of maybe these hopeful whims and feelings to be rooted in the very promises and nature of God that I'm going to take these promises of of forgiveness and of salvation, that he will never let me down, these yeses and these amens, and I'm going to hold them close this semester. I'm going to hold them tight, and I'm going to protect them, and I'm going to memorize, because it's through our knowledge, right? Twice Peter said that. It's through our knowledge of God, who has called us, and of our Lord Jesus Christ, that grace and peace is abundant in your life. 
And then it's through our knowledge that we have everything that we need to live a life of godliness. So would you stand with me tonight to finish off our evening? Our our band has prepared some time for you to uh, spend some time with Jesus. Nothing specific except a, uh, a Lord, would you increase my faith? Lord, this, this thing that you've given me, maybe I haven't handled or treated it well and I need some forgiveness. Or maybe I just need some refining in my life. Or maybe just some understanding of how to better hold this gift that is so precious to you and to me. And then maybe a surrender as a servant to say, Lord, this semester I, I give it all to you. This year, I give it all to you. Whatever your will is for me in my life and in this moment, I surrender it to you and say, have your way. But I'm going to base my walk with you upon your promises and upon your truths and not just the circumstances that surround me. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are worthy of our trust. Oh my goodness. You are so worthy to place our faith in you. You are so worthy to place our hope in you. Our assurance comes not just from something that is feeble, but something that we believe is so good and so holy, and that is you. You are our insurance. Holy Spirit, you are the assurance that we have. And so I ask now in this moment, I know you're working, I know you're speaking, that I pray that our hearts would be surrendered to you to hear what you are saying, to hear what you are speaking. In these next few moments, Spirit, we want to receive from you so badly. We want to hear from you. And for this semester and for this year, we surrender ourselves to you. We want to participate in this divine nature. We want to participate in this divine power. We want to receive this grace and this peace in abundance. God, I want to ask for it. I ask for it boldly. I do so confidently, not because of emotion I can muster up, because of promises that you've affirmed in my life that I'm able to, that we are able to. And so we ask in confidence and hope that you, a God who lives by your promises and by your covenants, will be faithful to follow through. We pray this in your name.